I suppose we should talk about the elephant in the room, really. Yeah, there's there's kind of no way around it. It's well, it's right in front of the door. You know, weighs five and a half tons. It's an elephant. Is do you know what though? It's a good elephant. I've seen really. worse, actually. Yeah. I mean, you're an elephant expert as well, it's, and this one's quite majestic. Yeah, it's good tempered, great skin quality, it, like impressive but not intimidating tusks. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I mean, I'd rather this than a hippo. <laughs> to this episode 202 of the electronic wireless show the best era changes in games and thank you so much for joining me again uh oh who are you this week carl wolfton yeah that's right it's me carl wolfton wolf carlton's <laughs> evil table oh dear okay well this is gonna be a nuisance i can tell already <laughs> no, it's all right i'm just as middling but <laughs> In, in opposite ways. Oh, okay. I see. Right. Uh, well, I'm joined this week by Carl Wolfton uh, for, yeah, the only podcast you need. I've done it all backwards. Rock Paper Shotgun's PC gaming podcast. Uh, this week, yeah, we're talking about the best era changes in games, as suggested by one of our lovely listeners in the Discord, whose name I did write down but now cannot find, so I apologise. <laughs> this is great podcasting. Um, and Nate, how are you today? Yeah. I'm pretty good. Um, what have I been up to? Um, I've had quite a quiet one this week. Um, it's I've, not like you. <laughs> yeah, it's been... Uh, I've been, My mind feels sort of wiped by the fact I've spent so much of my energy just trying not to absorb constant, like, blanket news coverage. Um yeah. So, but my mind's just sort of insulated. Uh, Tally started school this week, which was lovely. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Was there but, any any separation anxiety on your part? No, no. It, um, it's I, I've really enjoyed the whole thing of going to drop her off and pick her up. Actually, the schools oh. are literally around the corner from us. Oh, that's so it's, good. It's so convenient. Um, I have learned they've got. A, a transcendently good sort of behaviour initiative um, at, at the school, which I want to adopt at home as well. Uh, so to encourage, like, good qualities in the children, mm. they've come up with a series of sort of paragon animals. Okay. Which the children should aspire to be like. Um, so there's, like... Uh, I'm trying to remember. There's one of them that really sticks in my head. There's like the choosing chimp. Okay. Which, which is like, you know, for, I don't know, decision making, I suppose. Oh, I see. Okay. Maybe this is something I could adopt on the podcast. Like if if you and Matthew were being especially oh. ridiculous, I could be like, that's not very 
cuddly bear of you, Matthew. <laughs> well, they, this is the thing. They all alliterate. Um, but in some cases, the alliteration's really weird. Like, there's a snake that I believe represents being able to smoothly transition between different activities. And I couldn't tell you for the life of me what the alliteration is, because it's like the selecting a different task serpent or something. (laughs) The best one of the lot, which I have, like, I've sat Tally down and told her in no uncertain terms she must emulate, is the Mm. go-for-it gorilla. (laughs) (laughs) And like that is just such a powerful energy. I mean, there's there's a good chance that she'll feel the go for a gorilla is embodied by her father, and that you know her her dad will always be with her at school. This is it. This in the is go the, for a gorilla. If there's a value we've ever aspired to in this family, it's go for it gorilla tunes. <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm rooting for her on that front. Oh, that's good. I've not been up to that much this week either. We're going on holidays, so some admin is that there is not going to be a podcast next week because Matthew um, is away and I'm going to be away there might be one the week after but I'm away for two weeks so it just we've got some staffing level issues basically um, but I've just been getting ready for holidays because uh, of my lack of a luxury passport now as well there's just extra stuff I have to prove that I have enough money to go to Spain all that kind of stuff as well it's a bit annoying but um but I tell, actually, the week before, I went to a well-good island uh, called Spike Island, which is here in, it's off the coast of the island of Ireland. And um, Is it like Jurassic Park, but with the man from Buffy the Vampire Slayer? No, that would be good though, wouldn't it? That'd but be it's, it's an, it, so the, the Hateful English uh, built a fort on top of it. And completely like changed the kind of geography and structure of it, this little island. Um, and then the fort was turned into a prison three times in its existence. Like a really rubbish prison because it wasn't built to be a prison. Um, and the last time it was a prison was in the 80s when it was a youth prison. So basically any any young lad that got nicked in Ireland, like boosting a car or anything, got sent to Spike Island. And they had a riot, I think in like 86, where they just got fed up because it was really cold. They didn't have any heating or whatever. Um, so they broke out of the prison, rioted down to the port, um, the little jetty, see if there was a boat so they could riot across to the mainland. Couldn't find <laughs> one. Rioted back up to the prison where the guards had like shut the doors, but there was a digger abandoned outside the gates of the prison. So they rioted their way back through into the prison again. And then... Uh, all climbed on top of the main building uh, and were like yelling and like and it was a big news event like there were you know news helicopters like filming them and stuff and like nobody could get them down the army couldn't get them down like the army turned up and Spike Island were like please go away the army you'll make it worse um, but they did eventually get them down because they brought they they shipped something in to get them down uh, can you guess what they shipped in to get the rioting young men off the roof of the prison. Oh, this is good. Um, Twix bars. No, more powerful. <laughs> more powerful than the army. Rio Tropical. Sorry, Rio Tropical. Oh, did it, did it exist in like 86, 87? Oh, I forgot the historical element to this. Yeah. Um, is it a consumable? No. 
You got me. You got me. I'm fascinated by this. What is it? They're mams. <laughs> Seriously, that's really sweet. Yeah. yeah, the woman doing the tour was like, well, you got to remember, this is quite a small country. So they just like shipped in all these lads' mams who were furious seeing their sons on the news, uh, you know, behaving terribly. So genuinely brought their mams over uh, to harangue them and they all came down in about 20 minutes. <laughs> that is absolutely incredible. Isn't it great? <laughs> but uh, it was a very cool place um, and I would recommend if you're ever in Cork to make a trip to see Spike Island. I think it's one of the best tourist destinations in, in the county. I just love the idea of the, the moving riot. I'm imagining it like, you know, in the Beano when like a load of kids fight, yeah. it's like a dust cloud with fists coming out that sort of drifts around. <laughs> That's exactly how I imagined it as well, yeah. So that that was good. I enjoyed rowdy that. Rowdy boys. Yeah, very rowdy boys. But apart from that, I've been yeah, getting ready to go on holiday and I've got, I'm doing that thing do you know when people are like, oh, I just love books so much. I'm such a hashtag bookworm. <laughs> Lol. And they make it part of their personality that they really like books. I'm genuinely doing like an Instagram post worthy sort of like, oh, I don't know what books to take on holiday. <laughs> kind of. Oh, shame on you. What do you think you're going to take? I don't know. I bought, um, I got a bunch of um, uh, cool like horror ones, but I don't know whether to send, save them for, you know, spooky goth Christmas next month um got christmas on normal island yeah exactly i am so i am at the moment reading lolita but i don't know if that's the book you want to be sitting by the pool reading on all stage you know like oh no i'd miss that chief to be honest i don't like that's if you if you're looking across the pool you don't want to see someone reading lolita do you not what you know that's it's kind of not quite on Mein Kampf level, but yeah, you, you don't want that. Like, it's a very good book, but it's just like, you know, bad, bad, <laughs> bad rep. <laughs> bad PR image. Keeps bad company, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I might, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to take. I've got Lovecraft Country. That's supposed to be really good. And yeah, I, it is. Yeah. Read that. Yeah, good book. Yeah, and I got the Devil in the White City, which Matthew well, I've recommended read that as well. Have you? Yeah, that's, that's like you managed to throw two stones at a whale and hit the eye both times. Because <laughs> Matthew recommended that ages ago, and I just haven't read it yet. So I, I'm gonna, yeah, I don't know though. And I want to make friends on holiday. You know, like when you go on holiday and you make like holiday friends. And oh yeah, they're always quite good, aren't they? And you're like, that's. Dave and, and Sarah and they and then you leave and you're like, yeah, no, we'll call you and then never speak to them again. I want to do that. Yeah, that's part of the magic though, isn't it? That's Classic. I think an honourable agreement that everyone makes without mentioning. Hmm. Sorry, just taking a sip of my tea there. It's very it's been very cold and uh atmospheric here. It's you need hot drinks. We had the hurricane. Has it reached you, the hurricane? Uh we had some rain the other day that was like someone firing a Gatling gun at the earth made of water <laughs> for about eight seconds. I don't think that was really? a hurricane. Yeah, it was just we had, extremely like, intense rain. 
all like the last sort of week and a half it's sort of moved up we basically got into like unseasonable weather now um and well i suppose seasonable because it's you know it's that time of year but we had proper like yellow weather warning for a few days there it's properly yeah, i wouldn't mind a hurricane to be honest quite properly quite like... properly <laughs> Proper. i'm trying i can't i'm desperately searching for a way to segue this but it's quite difficult uh well, I suppose, you know, the era that we're in is one of increasingly extreme weather, Nate. Or you could talk about the uh, the period of warming that happened in the uh, 12th and 13th centuries or the Little Ice Age, of course, uh, that allowed the, the, the Thames to regularly freeze so they could mm. have the, the fares on there. That's, uh, you know, these little little periods in history come with era changes i guess you are oh, you were doing really well and you lost confidence at the end there yeah the propeller just sort of made a clunk noise and stopped spinning didn't it so yes this episode is going to be discussing the best era changes in games which is geared very much towards you i think nate and i think this is going to be one where i am the joker and trying to convince you that random things count as era changes um, and it was suggested in our discord which i will there is a link to in the show notes and i'm so sorry because i've lost where i wrote down who it was that suggested it but thank you so much because it's a great suggestion um so nate are we going to start with your obligatory age of empires uh soliloquy uh do you know i was trying to think of ways around this i did i didn't actually see the suggestion in the discord so i did think well, what about if this is era changes where, like, a a beloved franchise um, evolves through, like, eras of PC technology taking on drastically different forms? Um, that was my sort of left-field taxonomy idea this week. So we could discuss that. Um, but that said, uh, I do think that the switch to Castle Age and Age of Empires 2 would have to be uh, my favourite era change. Um, you know, a lot of it's just for uh, the mechanical satisfaction um, of being... No, so I, I can't in, in good conscience do this to you all. Um, it would get very technical very quickly. So I'm going to switch to my more honourable choice, uh, which is the... Specifically, the OST of Civilization VI um, really handles era change brilliantly. So obviously in the Civ games, um, you know, you, the, the, the progress of your culture is divided up into several eras. So like the ancient era, the classical era, medieval era, and so on, right? Yeah, and how do you ding? Because I've not, I, I think I played one of the Civ games, but a long time ago. So how do you ding the next era? I'm. Is it? I'm trying is it, to think now how it varies between the games, but most commonly, it's when you. So you've got a tech tree with with technologies you research, and they're they're banded into eras, and when you get the first one in a new era. I believe it's actually been a while since I played. I haven't had a Civ bender in a, probably a year or so. Um, 
But I believe in the latest iteration, Civ Six, it's when you hit any any tech that's in that era, or maybe when you get two that's in that era, you jump to that era overall, if that makes any sense. Um, mm. And yeah, Civ Six did some like every Civ game has some little iterative changes from the last, and one of the ones I liked. Uh, in Civ Six, I believe it actually came with the first DLC, uh, was Golden Ages and Dark Ages. Um, so, for example, if you have an absolute belter of a classical age um, and do, you know, all sorts of things that the game measures well, like build wonders, achieve military victories, um, like feckless colonization, whatever. Um, if you get like a high score, your next era, when you enter, so if you had a good classical era, you ping over into the medieval era, you will have a golden age. Oh, um, okay. Where you get all sorts of extra bonuses. And also, what I think is just really cool, the saturation of the colours increases slightly. Um, oh, that's fun. So it all just feels a bit more heroic. Uh, and the UI changes slightly. And similarly, if you just like... If you beef it, your next era has a chance to be a dark age where everything looks kind of like low saturation and muddy and is all a bit drearier and, you know, you're on Struggle Street for a while. Mm. Um, it's quite cool uh, because, it you know, it gives some sort of swings to your progress. Um, but what, what I came here um, to praise, it sounds like Caesar's funeral, uh, was what the music does. Because uh, each of the the civs in Civ Six um, has a theme tune, which is generally speaking um, a famous bit of music from that culture. So, for example, England has Scarborough Fair. Um, uh, okay. Things like that. And depending on what... There's the sort of general music as well. But every now and again, your nation's theme tune will play and it's different for every era um so for the ancient era it's incredibly simple with just like a little bit of percussion and by the atomic era it's this sort of synth monster piece um that goes on for 12 minutes with all these sort of like flourishes and stuff and the, the composition is superb uh australia uses waltzing matilda um and Waltzing Matilda isn't the Australian national anthem, but I think it might as well be. Um, <laughs> it's such an incredible song. Um, and I find it just a really like fascinating bit of Australian culture because it's this really cheery folk song about a criminal like committing suicide just to say fuck you to a policeman. Um, and it's just the most like joyously nihilistic background um, to this, this, this lovely little ditty. But seriously, the the arrangements or the arrangements of that song uh, are so good in Civ Six. I genuinely can't listen to them without being moved to tears. <laughs> oh wow! It's, it's phenomenal. Um, the other day, I, I was feeling a little bit emotional. My Spotify playlist served up the uh, industrial era rendition of Waltzing Matilda. I just had to skip it because I, I don't want to cry right now. 
Yeah. It's too much. Blimey. I didn't realise that they were so emotional for you. Um, well, because I don't play this, you know, the games where you, you get, get an era, you know, like historical kind of strategy games or 4X games, which, as we all know, stands for Explode. Uh, I can't think of any Extreme, <laughs> yeah. Eggs, and... Uh... E.T. the extraterrestrial. Yeah. Um, but uh, there are games that have time travel in, which I have played. For example, uh, Day of the Tentacle, which is a LucasArts uh, classic game. Yeah. Where, which I think I've talked about before, where you get into a toilet that travels in time, but too many of you get in it at once and you get sent to different eras. And the, the puzzles have a sort of... Uh, time element where you one of you doing something in the past can change something in the future so um for example it's one of my favorite um puzzles in the game uh in the future your friend laverne is stuck in a tree uh, <laughs> so in the past in like the 1700s um George Washington is in the same house to like sign the Declaration of Independence or whatever. And um, if you paint the, if you get some red paint and paint the fruit on the tree red, George Washington will become incensed because he cannot suffer a cherry tree to live <laughs> and will go outside and, and 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 burst the tree. So the tree then does not exist in the future for you to get stuck in. So uh, it's very cool in that sense, and I like the way that it changes, um, that the house changes, because it's the same house and it has basically the same layout, but it's different, obviously, in the in the past where it's all kind of wood and, you know, there's a talking horse and it's all, you know, kind of oldie, worldy. And then in, in the present-ish day in the 90s, it's very 90s kind of decor. And then the future when the world has been taken over by sentient tentacles, um, all the doors are triangle-shaped and loads of st- the windows and stuff are all, like, tentacle-shaped and things like that. And it's, uh, you know, has different... It's all metal and it's very different vibe. I really like it. I think it's very cool. There's something really satisfying, isn't there, about seeing, like, the same thing redesigned mm. to reflect different periods in its history. Uh, I, I don't know whether that's a universal human thing or, or, or a common thing or, or what, but I I love it when any kind of media um, sort of does clever detail stuff uh, in, yeah. in showing one thing over time. That's why I really like, you know, levels like the... Um, Ye olde Titanfall 2 one, where you you smash your watch to to jump to the past and, and vice versa in order to get round mm. obstacles and stuff. It's just, yeah, there's just something really simply pleasing about... Yeah. It, it sounds so bloody obvious and, and, and simple to say, to see the changes in a thing. But yeah. it's good. It's good. It's good. Uh, another one with actually Immortality which is the most recent Sam Barlow girls on film 
uh, F&B <laughs> investigation game, which I I've, have my issues with, as I was, I've talked about in my review. But um, the premise of it is you are following, you are looking at the kind of unedited, um, uh, what's the word, just footage that they shot before making, you know, actually finishing the films and rehearsals for three films uh, over three different eras. There's one in sort of the 60s that's this kind of gothic horror kind of, you know, Hitchcockian uh, kind of director making this grim, sexy film and he's really pervy with the girls in it. Um, and then the second one, which is kind of a cop thriller in the city and it's shot very differently. And the third one is in the early 2000s, I think. Um, and that's more of a psychological um, thriller. And that, again, is it looks very different. And it's really interesting seeing the different... Like it, the, One thing I do really like about Immortality is that it recreates the filming conventions of the times of those movies and the, those genres really well. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool in, in that sense. Um, yeah, they, that's... Multiple different sort of styles of pastiche in one yeah. thing is always something I really respect. That's great yeah. fun, and it does it. It does it really well, um, and it must have taken an incredible amount of work. The the downside is, of course, that they are. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure they're meant to be terrible movies. Um, I hope they're meant to be bad movies, yeah. uh, but they're bad in sort of also era and genre appropriate ways. Um, but it does mean that you do have to watch quite a lot of three quite bad films. <laughs> because yeah, there's the a downside. And like I say, I do help hope they're meant to be bad. I'm pretty sure they're meant to be bad. You never know, though, do you? <laughs> Speaking of bad ideas and, and time travels we were a minute ago, did I ever tell you my idea for um, a sort of an action sitcom called Time Gentlemen, Please? Oh, dear. <laughs> so, it's, uh, it's a play on the... Uh, the, the, the classic, I think it's a pub phrase, isn't it? Time, gentlemen, please. Um, which is, I think, like Last Orders, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Only... There's a video game series that's um, a play on that. They're point-and-click puzzle games. Oh, is I've not played them, but they're very much like the the video game journalists' video game. Oh, they're, bugger, they're... I might have to row this back. It might be the same idea. Um, I don't know what the actual idea is because I've not played them. But well, this one is a bunch of like really knackered, like old Victorian duffers, um, who, when they splutter with surprise, are transported through time uh, to where people need them. But they're not very competent, and every show would start with someone in a situation of distress, and when it reaches its climax, they turn to the camera and shout. Time, gentlemen, please. Uh, at which point it cuts to like this sort of smoking lounge in, you know, like a stuffy old Victorian gentleman's club and just some man with a moustache like a carpet going, Bleh! and then they all teleport. <laughs> and that's the beginning of the end, uh, the episode. I think, um, I, I'm not sure if it's got legs past that, but I like yeah. that. So, like, sort of like what's a bit like sliders or what's the one where a guy jumps into different people as well you know the... quantum leap yeah yeah, yeah kind of the, very much that flavor um i think it would be a winner oh yeah i'm, I'm a fan i say we pitch it 
Um, but I, I want to pick up, um, I suppose, gr- grudgingly slinking back to the topic. Um, so what you mentioned there with the sort of the different styles of filmmaking and what I was saying about the golden ages in, in Civ Five, like, I really like when stuff other than the content of the game changes based on, you know, what era you're in or, or you know, what 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 time period you're perceiving it through and it's often little things like cosmetic changes or little ui things that i feel really make the difference um mm. i'm trying to think of some some, some other because they're the kind of things that don't really change how any game plays out but they always yeah. really like overly disproportionately impress me um because <laughs> i suppose so the developers took the time or had the time, or valued the time um, to make tweaks that didn't actually change how the game played. Mm. Well, um, the, I was going to mention um, uh, Portal, uh, Portal Two, because in Portal Two you fall from, like you you end up in the the seventies essentially, so you end up yeah. in the, the early versions of the Portal testing and it doesn't like you say it sort of doesn't change how the things work but it's stuff like the you know in in the the finite you know in the main test chambers in portal the i have finished this kind of weighted button that you put like a a cube on or whatever um they look very nice in their polish and whatever. And then in this in the early versions in the 70s, they work exactly the same, but they're just like big red, you know, squares because they haven't finished, you know, oh, streamlining the cool. design, stuff like that. Like it, it all works the same, but it's all it's a lot more like uh this is the first time we've done this kind of version of things. I do um that's something I love in especially in sci-fi, uh when mm you jump back in the timeline and you get to see like the precursor designs to really familiar things. Like in a general sense, I have to say Star Wars does this pretty well. Um, you know, when you, uh, like in the, the oh, I'm trying to think where it was in the prequels. Oh yeah. Like in the last one where you see all the ships that, you know, look a bit like a sort of first go at a Star Destroyer or like a kid's drawing of an X-Wing and, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I guess with the Star Wars sequels as well, where it's like, yeah, BB-8 or whatever is, the, the, the football man is is like a, a needlessly more moving parts version of R2-D2 yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, um, that's true. I think that's, that's saying, you know, I've always really liked Star Wars just for the hardware. Um, mm. So I, I I haven't really cared about the quality of the prequels or and, and sequels um, as much as some people might, because really I, I, I'm, I'm just in it to see big spaceships smashing each other up and stuff. And, you know, the more they fill in the timeline, the better as far as I'm concerned, because I just like looking at the slightly different iterations of the big blocks of metal. It's very pleasing to me. <laughs> um, have you w- watched any of the extra Star Wars stuff, like The Mandalorian and the the other bit? Yeah. 
Uh, Book of Boba Fett, I found Temuera Morrison was incredibly endearing, but, like, that was a big problem, because he was meant to be playing a complete, like, merciless <laughs> bastard, where he's just this really nice old Mori guy just solving people's problems. And, yeah, so it was kind of kind of a damp scope. I like Mando a lot, because I think I did that uh, post for RPS a couple of years ago. It's basically... Mm like a Quest Hub RPG done yeah. as an episodic TV series, which is grand. I haven't I, seen Obi-Wan. I watched like some of The Mandalorian and I just got a bit, but, but I enjoy the memes. So I feel like I've consumed the post-show uh, culture. I, I like the, the little, the small um, little gremlin guy wanting chicken nuggets. I like that meme. I like yes. him wanting his nugs. Yes. <laughs> but that's about the extent of my knowledge of the show. For all I know, he could actually want chicken nuggets in the show itself, you know? He basically, yeah. He, uh, in a spiritual sense, he wants chicken nuggets. Like, yeah. the meme is very, very on point. Um, oh, an example I just thought of, actually, talking about aesthetic stuff. Um so I've got a funny relationship with the Jurassic World Evolution games, mm. uh, which are the, the park builders, because they like the dinosaur models are just unreal. Um, they're so good. In some ways, it absolutely nails the Jurassic Park fantasy, but I think from the point of view of management games, they're mm. really pretty uninspiring, um, which is a shame. Because I've always got a lot of enthusiasm to play them. Then I boot up and I sort of, you know, see through the machine very quickly. Um, but, like, in terms of visual stuff, I don't think anyone does management games better than Frontier. Um, like, Planet Zoo, again, is, you know, it's just, it's not the best out there from a management sim point of view, but I play it so much because it's you can make beautiful zoos. Uh, and in Jurassic World Evolution... Two, actually, I think this was present to some extent in the first one. Um, when you're building parks in sandbox mode or whatever, you can do it either with the visual grammar, if you like, of the 1993 film and the trilogy that spawned, or Jurassic World and the trilogy that spawned. And it makes a huge difference because, like, in the, the 1993 construction set, if you like, it's all like that that one font and like straw roofs and sort of repeated triangular patterns and stuff. Mm. Whereas, you know, the Jurassic World sort of construction kit is a lot more like, I guess, like an apple shop, but with murderous beasts. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was really cool because, again, it doesn't have, I don't think, any functional impact on how the game is played. Uh, but it changes the vibe quite a lot, definitely. Because um, it's this strange, it's very strange to me that the 90s is retro now, but it is. And there's a definite retro feel to playing Jurassic World Evolution with a, a yeah. 90s tile set. I guess we have to accept that, yeah. <laughs> Bitmarch.com. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if I can, because I... D I the ones that I've got that are really kind of taking the mick, 
I'm pretty. I think I can get unpacking past you because that's different eras in a person's life. Try me. So, so unpacking um, is a really, really lovely uh, 2D uh, pixely game where you unpack things from the, like the same person's stuff from moving house. So the first scene, for example, is um, this person has a child um, and moving into there. I think you can sort of read that it's um, a woman. She moves into her her new childhood home. She's got like one of those sort of semi-bunk beds. It's like the bed is on top and there's a little desk underneath, you know, and and that's all you have to unpack. It's just this one room and, you, you know, there's football and a little... Um, pig stuff toy that you, and you can you know put the stuff sort of where it's supposed to go but you can be a bit creative but where you put it you know it's really good and then the next move is unpacking at university uh, for the first year so it's a dorm room and um, then you move into a um a, f- a flat you know a shared flat with people that you uni- you were at university with and you know you have to fit your stuff around their stuff in in the bathroom and things like that and you see stuff that you know she's accruing like she likes little knickknacks of um maybe places she's visited or countries she, she wants to visit so there's a little london bus and then you know as time goes on she adds like a little um Eiffel Tower and you know Leaning Tower of Pisa and like you know just little little models of these monuments you know and things like that and then some things she gets rid of and stuff she you know her style changes a little bit you see clothes that she's changing um and then she moves in with uh, a guy like it's clearly a relationship and there's not really room for her stuff and she has to put some of her stuff under the bed you know Things oh like man, that. this sounds like it could get really poignant really quickly. It's really, really good, and you follow this person through the, the significant moves of of their life, the different eras of their life, if you will. Nate. I will allow it. Co. Uk. Thank That's, you. This um, I've got um, a friend called um, Andrew Skinner. It's a fascinating guy, actually. He wrote a. Uh, uh, a book I recommended about a year ago called Steel Frame, which I'll just plug again. Um, but he's a lovely chap, sci-fi writer, and he's an anthropologist by day. Um, and I had a really interesting conversation with him about how, like, there is a theory in, in anthropology that if, you know, as you look at the at human evolution there are some broad mirrors to the neurological development that kids go through. Um, mm. So in some ways, I suppose you could argue, and this is this is the lord of segues, that there's a mirroring you know, between eras of humanity and eras of a human's life, uh, making unpacking even more relevant. There you go. How intellectual did that sound? That was brilliant. Thank you. There you go. What a great segue. <laughs> If Andrew's listening, he's probably grimacing because I absolutely like brutally <laughs> misunderstood the theory. Um, but there we go. Yeah. Well, the the other one that I'm not so sure I'll be able to get past you is um, uh, Jigsaw Puzzle Dreams, which is a game where you do jigsaws. But mm-hmm. um, 
you can make the jigsaws almost as big as you want. You can make like a 20,000 piece jigsaw if you were so inclined. I am currently doing, I think it's like 6,000 pieces or maybe 5,000 pieces. And my uh, sort of challenge to the era definition is that I work in much as an artist does. Uh, I've come through my, my red era because I've done the red, the red bit. I've done all the red pieces. Because it's a picture of a slice of rainbow cake, right? So I've done the red era. And I'm currently in my green era. <laughs> this is a load of walrus sick. I'm really happy you're doing well on your jigsaw. And that's our eras. You're just knocking things off a to-do list, mate. Do you not know? Is that <laughs> Time, gentlemen, please. <laughs> But it feels like eras to me because it's taking a very long time. I have done, I think, 4% of this jigsaw. Good grief. How many pieces are there in it? 5,000. It's quite difficult. Mania. It's very difficult. You've taken the one thing that's nice about jigsaws in that, like, they allow you to spend some sort of calm, focused time away from a screen it on a screen yeah no i i see where you're coming from but i do i really like this one because it feels very like each individual piece is simulated and you can pick them up and move them around and they have Ooh. like a 3d quality to them which is why i really like it okay um, i can see the appeal yeah and i think they just added multiplayer as well so maybe i'll get people to help with the old now that would be fun jigsaw. yeah if they especially if they had like a little you know audio or video chat built in uh, I guess you can use Discord or whatever for that, but you know, it, it seems like something that would benefit from a a dedicated social mechanic. Yeah, right. But I'm, I'm, yeah. But have I convinced you? I mean, it doesn't sound like I have really. No, but if you, it does get multiplayer. Um, let's do, let's do a jigsaw. Okay. Together, yeah. Or I'll drop in to help you for a bit. It'd be good fun. <laughs> um, I do have one more to throw in. Go on. Um, because hilariously, I haven't actually talked about RTSs and stuff much. Uh, but do you remember Megalomania? No. So this was... It's one of those raft of RTS games that happened significantly before Command and & Conquer and kind of get forgotten about. I want to say it was an Amiga one. It was like early 90s. Like, definitely sort of pre-95, I think. Um, and it was a very odd game uh, that, as far as I recalled, involved playing against a couple of AIs and you had, like, castles sat on floating islands of land, which were like tiles. I have no memory of this at all. And you had to conquer the other tiles. Um but there was sort of advancement through ages in that and your tower looked different and you went from being able to train cavemen and stuff to, you know, other things going right up to like laser boys and the like. So it, in terms of like era advancement and, and stuff like that, and it, you had to secure like special resources from the tiles to build the more advanced units. So you know, it was doing a lot of RTS stuff, and then yeah, arguably 4X stuff as well, even though it played as, as a real-time thing. 
way before its time. I played it as like an eight-year-old and I rented because it was on Mega Drive as well. So from the, the, the video rental place near us also rented Mega Drive games and I had it for a weekend and was just fucking dumbfounded. I would just make these sort of hopeless gaggles of cavemen that would be mowed down <laughs> by longbowmen on top of the enemy's castle. And I, you know, all doing this while sort of lurching the cursor around the screen <laughs> with a Mega Drive D-pad. And it's a wonder I ever played a strategy game again. Um, but I, I, th- I think there were, you know, I was missing out on some of the basics because uh, the hilarious thing about renting games uh, from the shop is the instruction manuals had usually been stolen by people, so I had no idea how to play it. Apparently, it was quite good. Would you? Yeah, would you go back? Honestly, yes. Um, probably. I imagine it's something you need to like nearly annihilate your computer with weird tools in order to be able to play. But let me. I, I don't know. Like when I was a teenager, I had a MS DOS, like a DOS box emulator, that was quite fun. You could play all this, you know, Princess Maker in. Before it was before it was cool, um, and oh, I've been toying been toying with the idea of of emulating Mega Drive on my PC because I'd never had one, and people always talk about Mega Drive games. I was uh, I was very much a Mega Drive boy for the first sort of thirteen years of my life, uh, but alas, Megalomania is I think it was like three words like Megalomania. Very weird. The, the <laughs> box art had this sort of like gurning cyborg. Um, he looks, you know, like um, Patrick Moore as the big floating head in Games Master. I do indeed. Yeah. Imagine his like younger and much more violent brother. That's that. That's what the box art for Megalomania looked at. But it's uh, not on Steam, so it's um, surpassed my being bothered requirements, and I shan't be playing it. <laughs> um, well, I know one thing: we will be playing. Today, Master mate. at work. <laughs> She's back. We need to stop lampshading the segue. <laughs> the cavern of lies. All right, Nick. And I sh- should say, after our cavern of justice last week, Brendy has written in to complain again that we've only further slandered him. I can't wait for this to this court case to drag on. Yeah. Uh, so we'll. I think he's going to counter Sue and uh, we'll have to wait until Matthew's back to, <laughs> to fully litigate the cyber babe uh, issue. Uh, but we're wolves. Yeah. Um, but we're back for a more normal cavern of lies this week. So what challenge have you got to place before me, Nate? Okay. So this, this is a belter actually. Uh, I can loosely tie it in with the theme. Um, even though it was something I was planning to use another time, uh, but it's, it's it's too good. And if we're looking at era changes in terms of eras of, of video games, uh, one that is upon us now, probably to most people's regret, is the era of mobile games. Uh, Indeed, yeah. And with them, a deluge of almost nonsensical advertising. Um, oh, oh, no. <laughs> I'm a connoisseur of bad mobile game ads and one of my favorite series right now uh it's died off a bit it was sort of at its peak about six months ago but the live action uh ads for mobile world war ii strategy game warpath are you familiar with them 
Uh, oh, maybe. So, like all over-advertised mobile games, Warpath um, has had several wildly different and often overlapping advertising campaigns. Uh, but one of them has the basic format of incredibly bad actors uh, in situations where their social status is drastically determined by their level of power in the game Warpath. And uh, some, some really like absurd consequences can take place uh, over the course of a minute-long skit uh, as a result of their in-game power. So what I've done uh, is I've assembled seven uh, of these scenarios. Oh, dear. Okay. Four of them are real Warpath adverts. Three of them are made up. Um, and I'm going to ask you to make the call after each one as to whether it's real or not. Or if uh, No, no, no. Okay. I'll, I will let you hear them all um, before I do that, because otherwise you won't have a benchmark. But yeah, uh, okay. four of these are real. Um, I'm not going like, to read out the scripts. I'm just going to summarize them in a paragraph, okay? All right. Uh, Warpath advert one. Uh, a man's walking through a park, uh, cheerfully playing on his phone, mm -hmm. uh, with three grinning ruffians sprint from off screen and start pushing him around and mocking okay. him for being weak. Uh, they demand his wallet, uh, which he gives over, and then his phone... And when the lead ruffian grabs the phone, they look at it and their face falls in horror and says, whoa, this guy is King Destroyer on Warpath. He's got 30 million power. At which point the camera pans up to reveal four World War II soldiers holding machine guns at the ruffians. <laughs> and their lead says, you'd better believe it. Hands off the general. At which point uh, the man who would have been mugged explains how he got uh, so much power on Warpath. Um, oh, this is a tough one. What do the ruffians look like? They're sort of um, one of the many iterations on early 2000s jock, I would say. Okay, yeah, I'm with you. Sports I, guys. Sport, sports dudes. I, oh, I was with you and then it, it felt like it went on too long and then I was with you again when the World War II guys turned up and then you sort of lost me with the hands off the general... So I'm going to say that's fake. Okay, well, I'll allow you to revise your opinion once you've heard all of them. Uh, okay. You, unless, you, unless you want to put a bullet in it right now. Uh, I'll, I'll, I will... Uh, do you know what? Let's go through all of them. I'll state my opinion, and then we'll see if any of them need to be revised. Cool. Okay. So the second one is uh, a sort of a... He's a, a dude in an alleyway with his very glamorous girlfriend um, approaching the door to what seems to be like an exclusive club or restaurant says, huh, I'm so happy I got invited to eat here because my Warpath power reached five million. Uh, he's clearly trying oh to impress God. his diet. Okay. And there's a sort of a sexy maitre d', uh, you know, like a sort of a jaunty like army cap. Um, and she's like, oh, well, let's see your evidence then. And looks at the guy's phone and says, oh, unfortunately, we've raised the requirement to 10 million power. And the, the guy's very humiliated. Uh, but luckily, his girlfriend turns out to have 20 million power on Warpath. And so they're both uh, given the red carpet treatment and allowed in. 
Okay, I that this also sounds absurd. So I'm. <laughs> this so is wait. why I wanted you to have more time to calibrate. Yes. No. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Okay. All right. Uh. Warp path ad number three. Okay. It's I'm gonna two... say that. I'm gonna say that one's fake, and maybe the first one is real. Okay. Yeah. So uh, warp path advert number three is two brothers and a sister at their father's funeral. Oh my god. Um, okay. A, a lawyer has just showed up with the will, uh, and the first brother says the inheritance must surely be going to him because he's a famous doctor working on miracle drugs. Uh, the second brother argues that it must be going to him because he runs an animal rescue center. And the sister, meanwhile, is just playing on her phone. Uh, then the lawyer looks to his left with shock uh, because a general has just shown up um, uh, who salutes the sister because it turns out she's the beneficiary because of her 20 million power in Warpath. And somehow the military <laughs> has intervened to make yeah. sure she gets her father's money. Oh my God. Okay. You, you'll notice quite a lot of these have soldiers appearing randomly yeah. to intervene in public order. Like how NCIS turn up to tenuously Navy-related crimes. Exactly, yes. Okay, maybe that one's... Oh, I don't know. This is really hard. Okay, what's number four? So it's, uh, the scene opens on a guy doing a thousand push-ups. He's like an army guy while his squad mate plays on his phone. And a, a stern-looking, presumably very senior officer marches up to them. And the push-up guy immediately gets up to salute. And he tries to warn his friends uh, that he needs to salute as well. But he just mm. carries on playing his phone and smirks at the officer. Uh whose eyes open in alarm as he notices that the guy on his phone has a badge denoting his enormous power and warpath. Uh, and this general immediately begs forgiveness for interrupting the man uh, who I... puts down his phone, smirks, and orders his mate to do another thousand push-ups. I love that the premise appears to be that if you're good at warpath, that does grant you some... A that That's like a rank in the actual army. Yes, literal military authority. Yeah. Okay. okay, that one could be... How many are real? Uh, so four out of the seven are real. Okay, all right. Okay, so number five now. So it starts with a furious-looking soldier shouting, who dares break into my territory? A man <laughs> runs into the scene with a gun and holds it at him, but the first guy isn't concerned. In fact, he laughs. says, ha you're the noob who was expelled from our alliance because of your low power. The guy is running with a gun says, yeah, 10 years ago, you bullied me, you humiliated me, but now I'm back for revenge. To which the first soldier laughs again. <laughs> revenge? Don't you know I have 20 million power on Warpath and dozens of brothers? You're <laughs> a nobody. Uh, and this is when, of course, the invader reveals he's in fact the number one player in all of Warpath and the base detonates around them. <laughs> Okay, that one seems quite wordy. I'm not sure about that one. I just really love the dialogue. Just the guy yeah. boasting that he had dozens of brothers. It's so natural, incredible. yeah. Um, give me number six. Okay, so this is a, um, a sort of American office-style boss in a room with two employees. Uh, he explains that, quote, the financials, quote, are way down this quarter. And one of the two employees is going to have to go. 
And the first really indignantly says he can't be fired because he's got a 10 million power on Warpath. And the boss concedes, yeah, that's, that's quite hard to beat. And asks the other employee what they've got to say for themselves. Uh, but they just smirk and hold their phone up. There's a big burst of light uh, and 50 million power appears on the screen. And the boss says, how is that possible? I only have 20 million myself. Yeah. And then the employee goes into a lengthy advertorial about how the game works uh, before a, a final culminating scene uh, of the employee smirking sat behind the boss's desk while the old boss uh, comes in and says, here's your coffee, sir. Oh, my God, they all sound fake. Uh, okay, what's the last one? So this is uh, a, a, a sort of nerdy-looking guy knocking on a, the door of a British suburban home, which opens to reveal the same man uh, wearing, like, comedy disguise spectacles and a big fake moustache, uh, along with a woman. Uh, and the, the, the dweeb who's knocked on the door says, will you marry me to the mm. woman? And to which the father, also confusingly played by the man, says, my daughter won't marry a noob with a power level less than 10 million on Warpath. Oh, God. And then it does the, the SpongeBob three days later cut. Um, and then the, the, the dweeb's at the door again. But this time, uh, he's got a 50 million score. Uh, and a random old lady uh, <laughs> who a, a, an on-screen caption identifies as also having 8 million power in, in Warpath uh, appears and asks for this guy's autograph. Uh, the daughter begs her father to be allowed to, to marry the suitor, who then launches into a long advertorial about how the game works. Uh, and the ad finishes with the daughter saying, Dad, do you agree I can marry him now? And the dad cryptically says, well, I think you are the new alliance leader now. To the oh man, my God. Okay. presumably uh, consenting for his daughter's marriage. So there we are okay. uh, to, to review okay. them. So there's a man uh, mugged by by bullies, uh, only to be saved by soldiers. There's a guy invited to fancy restaurants, uh, only to to not have enough power and be saved from humiliation by yeah, his girlfriend. To be power cucked by his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> There's the inheritance situation at the funeral. Yeah, a tricky situation at the funeral, yeah. There's the uh, the the squaddy who turns out to be in charge of the military because of his power level. Mm. There's the uh, gunpoint standoff uh, that, that escalates dramatically because of the participants' relative power levels. Uh, there's... The man avoiding not only well, not only avoiding redundancy, but becoming the boss of a company because of his warpath power level. Mm. And then, of course, there's uh, the 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 suitor. Okay, this is really tough. I think I think one of the girl boss ads is fake because I Go don't because it's the old. If there's two of something, one of them's a fakey. And also, given given the uh, the clear target audience and tone of the the other adverts, I think they'd do they'd do a cursory girl boss, but I don't know if they do multiple girl boss ads. You know, um, so I think um, I think the 
guy getting power cucked by his girlfriend on a date. Um, number two, I think, is a fakie. Unfortunately, um, that's real. Is it? Is yeah, the there are loads of girl boss ones. Oh, it's no. weirdly one of the most common tropes in the Warpath oeuvre. Oh no, is the Will one fake, at least? Well, would you like to call it? Yeah, go on then. That is indeed fake. Okay, well I was... My instincts weren't entirely off there, okay. Your meta instincts there were perfect. If yeah. there's two of the similar one, one's yeah, probably yeah. not real. Okay, okay, okay. So remaining, we've got, um, we've got two. the okay. failed mugging, the uh, the secret general, the gunpoint standoff, the redundancies, and the suitor. I think maybe the gunpoint standoff is fake because it was very wordy in a way that felt like it... Just I have dozens of brothers felt felt like Nate parodying <laughs> someone playing <laughs> Warper. So I think number five is fake. Unfortunately that one is is oh real. My... The dialogue was too good for me not to transcribe. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> so you're currently uh I cannot get a read on Warper. <laughs> two wrong and one right. Um number one is fake. Why'd you say that? Because you better believe it, hands off the general, also rings false to me. But geez, I mean... You've got a good ear, Alice. That one is fake. Okay, that one is fake. Okay, okay. So you're two for two now. I think it was the you better believe it. was. <laughs> okay. So I've got one left. Uh... Out of those three, I don't know. I'm drawn tough, to either, aren't they? Yeah, I'm drawn to either the redundancy or the secret general. Not the uh, the hopeful suitor, and the old lady asking for his autograph. Actually, maybe the old lady asking for his autograph is a detail too far. Hmm. Oh, there are three soldiers approaching you. <laughs> One <Yeah>. of them. <laughs> Has no power on Warpath. The other two are eight-star generals. <laughs> uh, okay, do you know what? I, I'm going to go for the hopeful suitor with the because the, the detail that she has eight million power is maybe a bit much. You think that's the fake, yeah? Yeah. Totally real. <laughs> oh my god! The uh, it's completely my radar is off. I cannot. <laughs> I'll give you one more. So this is a uh, a nail biter here. Okay. So it's out of the the thousand push up squaddy and the the boss of the two employees. One of them is fake, the other is real. If you can identify the fake, you've won. Otherwise, uh, I'm oh. going to reveal my warpath power. Oh no! Oh no! This is really hot. The redundancy one feels like maybe it's more relatable in the current times. Oh! Oh! Maybe oh. that's just why I forged it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, no, I'm going to go for 1,000 push-ups, Guy. It's real. Oh, my God! The Red Baron has been shot down. Oh, no! Because I had the sense to buy an A10 Warthog at five stars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my kill streak is ended. I've been 360 no-scoped.
There you go. By wow, Warpa. what an upset in the cavern. By bloody Warpath. <laughs> I love mobile games. <laughs> Download <laughs> Warpath now. <laughs> Thank you, listener, for uh, enjoying that cavern of lies with us, sponsored by Warpath. Um, <laughs> well done, Nate. Congratulations. I cannot fault your performance there. It's a big day for me. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, big day for all of us as well as we come to the end of this episode of The Electronic Wireless Show, episode 202 the best era changes in games. And now that we've fled the cavern, all that's left is to offer some recommendations because every week we recommend something that is not a video game. Um, this week, I'm going to recommend them. Um, oh, now I can't remember if I recommended it last week, but I don't think I did. Um, the Daughter of Dr. Moreau. Did I recommend that last week? No, I don't think so. It's by Silva Moreno-Garcia, um, who wrote Mexican Gothic, and uh, Velvet Was the Night. She Every book she writes is like a different kind of book. Um, this one is sort of a historical fiction, a little bit sci-fi, sort of romance. And it reimagines Dr. Moreau as um, doing his experiments in South America in during a war that I um, can't remember the exact era. But um, And it's from the point of view of his, his daughter, who... Um, you know, doesn't want anything more than to live in, you know, the little paradise that she's known and uh, things get flipped, turned upside down. It's a really good, um, really kind of a bit tender and a bit wild and a little bit gothic and a bit historical fiction. It's really, really good. Uh, I really enjoyed it. That sounds okay. amazing. And I, I love Dr. Moreau. So that's, uh, yeah, that's one I'll be picking up. What about you, Nate? What are you recommending this week? Uh, so it's a sequel to another recommendation I've, I've done. So the um, I think this Friday we'll see all episodes uh, out for the second series of um, Primal, uh, which is an animation uh, I love. The first series was this sort of... Uh, it's uh, Jendi Tartakovsky who did like Clone Wars and... Um, Samurai Jack and Dexter's Lab and things. Uh, very good animator. And oh, this yeah. is his sort of, I've always wanted to do it, passion project, uh, which, yeah, the first season was this sort of anything goes, blood-soaked, quasi-prehistoric um, fever dream, uh, whereas the second series, just as, as impressive in terms of animation quality and sort of non-verbal storytelling, uh, no one ever says anything in it. Uh, but this time it's evolved this sort of human factions and it's become this bizarro sort of Conan thing. Uh, it, yeah, it's evolved into grand barbarian fantasy. Uh, and I just love it. I absolutely love it. Um, there's a lot of it is about a, 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 what's ostensibly a T-Rex <clears throat> trying to keep her two eggs safe. Uh, and it can be weirdly tender uh, while having vast amounts of internal organs flying. <laughs> it, it's really up my street. If if you can, it it if you can handle a bit of gore, because um, there is more than a bit of gore, uh, but it's not it's not nasty if you know what I mean. It's just extremely violent. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. So Primal season two. If you're in the states, I think it's on. 
Adult Swim. If you're in the UK, uh, you can watch it on all four if you don't mind a few ads, and then it will, if the last season's anything to go by, show up on Amazon Prime when it's done. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, that sounds really good. Thank you for recommending that, Nate. And thank you, listener, for joining us for episode 202 of the Electronic Wireless Show, the best era changes in games special. Uh, as I said at the top, there's no podcast next week and potentially not one the week after either. But listen, everyone's allowed a holiday. Am I right? Um, so, uh, Even Shogar's heart. Exactly. <laughs> ah, <laughs> sorry, elephant. Sorry. Um uh so uh i hope you'll forgive us uh our absence or forgive me specifically in this case um but we'll be back with a bang at some point in the next fortnight um and thank you nate for joining me this week um you can find rock paper shotgun on facebook twitter and youtube just search rock paper shotgun you can join the discord to talk about all things games or all things podcast if you prefer uh you can buy merch um, but for all of your PC gaming needs, just go to www.rockpapershotgun.com. But for now, it's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from Carl Wolfton. Oh, <laughs> he's also a werewolf. Oh, okay. <laughs>